0: Hello, welcome to CSDS Asia Matters, the podcast where we aim to go behind the headlines and talk about the biggest themes in the world's most fascinating region. I'm Andrew People. When it comes to culture, there's one Asian country that has had a particularly big global impact in recent years. I'm talking, of course, about South Korea, home to Oscar-winning movies such as Parasite, Netflix shows such as Squid Game, and the current hit, The Glory as well as enormously successful pop music acts like BTS and Blackpink. The country's cultural industry is hugely important economically too. It could generate over $70 billion this year, according to Invest Korea, making it the world's seventh largest cultural industry overall. So what makes K-culture so special? In this episode, we're going to look in more depth at the phenomenon, how it's viewed within Korea itself, and the impact it has had on views of the country from abroad. To do so, I'm joined by two excellent guests. Rosalie Kim, she's the curator of Korean art at London's Victoria and Albert Museum. Rosalie is currently putting on an exhibition devoted to Korean culture titled Hallyu, the Korean Wave. Hello to you, Rosalie. Hello. And we're joined once again by Ramon pachedo Parco, the Korea Chair at the Centre for Security, Diplomacy and Strategy at the Brussels School of Governance. Ramon's recent book on Korean history, From Shrimp to Whale, Contains plenty on the topic of Korean culture. Hello to you, Ramon. Hello. Well, thank you both of you for joining us. I don't want to dwell too long at the start on the origins of South Korea's focus on building up its cultural industry. But is it fair to say that this has pretty long history now, dating back at least to the 1990s? Rosalie, could you give us some background on that and, and where we are today? Sketch the outline of the history of all of this, if you would.
1: Yes, it has been ongoing since the late 1990s. This explosion of popular culture is actually almost, if you'd like, a result from what we call the compressed modern history of Korea in the 20th century, whereby Korea went through a succession of traumatic events from the colonial period to the territorial division, the Korean War, that left South Korea very much considered and perceived as a third world country by the sort of late 1950s, early 1960s. Then you had virtually 30 years of dictatorship coming along with all these censorship around cultural content. It's only when you reach the 1990s that this uh, censorship and this um, repression of Korean culture has been lifted. And there is this moment of celebration, of experimentation that is ongoing from this point onwards. And so it goes around um, the concept that the sale of tickets from the movie Jurassic Park outperformed the sale of 1.5 million Hyundai cars and the math was quickly done. And the Korean government at that point started to invest into cultural industries.
0: I see. Ramon, in your book, you talk a lot about how some of these changes in Korean society in recent decades have been driven from the ground up, i.e. from the Korean people rather than the politicians and so on. To what extent is that true of the development of things like Korea's cultural, its film and music industries? The
2: investment that Rosalie mentioned obviously was was very important, but it is true that you needed the ideas, right, Uh, to, to invest in, so to speak. The big change that we saw, obviously, with the transition to democracy in the late 1980s, early 1990s, led to more creativity. There was no censorship as there was before, so there had been this uh, repression really of many artists who couldn't express the ideas that they wanted because of the previous regime and suddenly they were able to uh, talk freely or film freely, think freely uh, about the topics that they found interesting. Uh, and I think that was an important change that led uh, later on to the spread of the culture at the global level, especially in countries in the region but also beyond the region that maybe were undergoing similar processes uh, right processes of uh, more freedom not necessarily becoming democratic but more freedom and these products coming from korea became quite popular so that's why in in the book i guess that's why i emphasize the role of the people uh, themselves uh, as opposed to to the role of other of other institutions which uh, matter but were more secondary to the spread of the culture
0: thank you rosalie i guess On the face of it, there's not much in common between the likes of BTS and traditional Korean culture. But can you talk a little bit about what aspects of the older culture of the country we can see in today's cultural industry inside Korea? What sort of links are there between older, more traditional forms of culture in Korea and what we see today?
1: I think going back to what we call the compressed modern history, the modernization process of Korea has been so quick happening in the space of two generations that you have traditional values that have been inherited from the Joseon dynasty, 500 years of Joseon dynasty, which is basically spreading from the 14th century to the early 20th century. And those values um, around the importance of education, families, loyalty, pure love, etc., Coming into sort of frictions with more liberal values and lifestyles that you have in contemporary society, and those kind of things can be quite uh, well uh, observed. So, shall we say, in for example, Korean dramas and films, sometimes where you see, for example, the um, the sort of battle of generations: the older generation with a more traditional approach, the younger generation with a sort of more liberal approach, and Discussing the various issues, and for example, you have Sky Castle talking about the academic pressure to succeed in contemporary society, but how this is stemming actually from the Joseon Dynasty's importance on education. But you also have the saguk, the historical dramas, for example, that are showcasing traditional costumes as well as um, architecture and the whole paraphernalia around that lifestyles, be it for men, for women, for children. And nowadays, K-pop music is also starting to pick this sort of trend up in the sense that more and more of the K-pop idols, both on and off stage, donning uh, contemporary versions of traditional handbook. And they also feature, for example, in the background of their music videos, to references of traditional culture, architecture, or the sort of school that were propagated at the time. And so you you start to see all of this link coming to the fore. But interestingly, you also had lately BTS, for example, offering a set of Korean contemporary lacquerware to the Metropolitan Museum when they visited New York, as well as the National Museum of Korea recently, I think it was earlier this month, who appointed a young Korean actor to be their honorary ambassador for the museum. So, Knowing that the National Museum of Korea is really the repository of the best in Korean traditional art, Korean history, art history, archaeology, it's quite interesting to see this type of culture coming to the fore through
2: Hallyu. I want to add, Rosalie made a very, very good point. The fact that this is now hanbok, for example, modernized versions, which in K-pop, for example, for me, that's a really interesting development. I'm glad she mentioned it, right, because I think we have seen how Younger Koreans, right, seem to feel more confident, right, and more comfortable with expressing their culture. And you see this being expressed in pop and, and of course, dramas, as Rosalie has mentioned, movies as well. Uh, and I think this change is interesting because it seems that the audiences overseas, right, who, who may not know—they don't necessarily need to know Korean history or Korean traditional attire, for example—how they have taken to this as well. And I find this quite interesting, something that you know, maybe when Hallyu started uh, 20, 25 years ago, it would have been, if not unthinkable, maybe this wasn't played out in the way it is now. And we have seen how this is helping drive actually, the popularity of Korean culture as well. I think that's a, a fascinating phenomenon uh, for someone who, like me who doesn't come from the country itself.
0: So it sounds like in a way, when this movement started out, there was a more of a conflict in a way between the new emerging cultures and older traditional Korean culture. But it seems like in more recent years, there's become more of a mutually respectful relationship between the two. Is that fair comment, Rosalie, just to sum up?
1: Yeah, I think so. There is a a better embrace of Korean culture and um, a desire to showcase Korean culture through Hallyu and entice people to come and to learn more about the country.
0: And just to clarify one other point, Rosalie, I mean, when we talk about Hallyu, is it right to sort of lump together all of these things? I mean, obviously, K-pop is somewhat different to the kind of multi-layered films like Parasite and so on that we've seen coming out of Korea. Is it right to see this as one kind of cultural movement or is it quite disparate?
1: So Hallyu is actually referring to the export of Korean culture. And so as such, we tend to group all the performative side together, be it K-drama, cinema or K-pop music. And I feel personally that there is this kind of perhaps misunderstanding at times that K-pop is lighter and it's not as deep as some of the movies. And I don't debate, this is arguably true, in the sense that there is a whole complexity around the K-pop industries and uh, the way K-pop is shared with, for example, the fandoms. The amount of clues, the amount of layers of meaning that you have in some of the music videos and successions of music videos are also quite sophisticated. And I think if you look at the fandoms themselves, they are a cultural phenomenon in themselves too. And this is... I think showcasing how they have a different audience, how they play a different part. But this doesn't mean that they are lighter, say, to the K-drama or cinema industries.
0: But are they seen as, you know, all part of the same thing? Is there much crossover between, say, the worlds of music and cinema?
1: Yes, absolutely. You often have K-pop idols playing in movies, for example, I think IU, uh, who's a who's a singer who has been featured in many movies, including the latest hit called Walker. And then you have lots of um, idols also writing the music. So there are, I think, some correlations. You also have film directors who are filming the music videos of the K-pop industry. So I think there are quite a few cross pollination happening in both
0: fields. Fantastic. Now, a question that I'd like to get the thoughts of both of you on, uh, maybe begin with Ramon. I mean, from your research and uh, your visits to Korea over the years, how is the success of the Korean cultural industry, do you think, viewed within the country? Is this mostly seen as a source of pride, do you think? Or is there any concern at all that sometimes a false impression of South Korea could be given to to people overseas i just wonder how the typical korean people see the success of this industry
2: you know i think that's a really important issue to discuss and, and it's often ignored. i think uh, i mean in my case i first lived in korea exactly uh, 20 years ago so when hali was starting to, to become popular not only in, in asia but be, but beyond and i recall people were uh, surprised right That's not necessarily why it was popular in Taiwan or China or Japan, but but why in a Latin American country, for example, right? Which has a different history compared to Korea. I, I've seen over time, many people feel proud of it, saying, well, this is a Korean product, uh, often Korean stories uh, that are popular overseas. I mean, when Parasite won, won, won the Oscar, we saw the, the, the celebrations, the videos of celebrations. People very happy about it. Uh, uh, same with uh, when uh, BTS, for example, gave his, his address at the uh, United Nations as well. Uh, there was a lot of pride in the country. There are, of course, those who, who are critical and say, "Well, this doesn't represent Korea." Uh, and, and certainly, there are those who feel, "A, this is not uh, the real Korea, but uh, B, this is not a real Korean product, right? The thing is very mixed with foreign foreign influences." So you do have the critics, but I would say these are in the in, in the minority. Uh, and I would add a, a couple of points: is uh, it's not only about the move from from surprise to pride. What I think you you have seen as well is this perception within the country that this, in a sense, is validation of Korea as a country, right? A country that at the beginning was very poor, developing, never mind, it was colonized, of course, in the past as well. Uh, And I has really made it at the global, uh, the global stage. Uh, I was discussing this with some Koreans uh, recently now, like to the US, right? And and, and the music channels, the only country that had its own music channel was Korea. There was a K-pop channel, right? And then, there was journal pop and rock and Latino music, but that's not a country, right? So, so this is something that they feel well. And secondly, I think another issue that I think is becoming more more uh, prominent in Korea as well in relation to the way this is perceived is, uh, so, so so now what, right? Um, is this the peak uh, of Hallyu? I have to say this discussion on the peak of Hallyu, I think it's the third iteration of it we're going through. In the mid-2000s, I already this discussion uh, after Gangnam Style and the years after as well, I know the third iteration, right? But in a sense, uh, how can we make this sustainable, right? The, the, this question, how we can make this something that uh, is not only for a short period of time, that for a long period of time, Korean culture is going to be well known and how this can help. The rest of the the rest of the country. You have mentioned the economic impact, for example. And I think there is an acknowledgement of this economic impact now that maybe wasn't there 20 years ago. But uh, can it help the image of the country? I mean, we, we would argue it, it helps because of uh, soft power uh, issues. But whenever there is a scandal with any idols, some people feel, oh, this is for the whole country, not for the idol uh, themselves, right? And, and this discussion or this perception about what does this mean for Korea as a whole is becoming more and more relevant as well.
0: Rosalie, I wonder what your thoughts on this area are, in particular, that idea of how sustainable this all is. I mean, even BTS recently, I think one, at least one of its members has got to go off and do military service. And there've been some questions about how much longer the group will last. How do you see Korean people responding to the success of this industry within Korea? And, and how worried do you think people are that, you know, it could all come crushing down quite soon and quite suddenly?
1: I think I share the the opinion with Raymond in the sense that obviously there is a sense of pride, quite a lot of surprise, and even more of wariness about the future, as you mentioned. If you think about it, it's quite incredible to think that a small country like Korea that counts 50 million people with its own language that is not spoken anywhere else has become this kind of source of various cultural content that is affecting the global flow of popular culture today. And I think Koreans are looking at different ways of potentially taking that further. And this doesn't necessarily have to be remaining in the sphere of, say, popular culture. It can also take the form of something else. And I think many are looking at now contemporary art uh, or traditional culture, Korean art history, was kind of a deeper level at understanding Korean culture, and I think there are endeavors to do so, as I mentioned before. It is difficult to gauge what the future will be because yes, there are a few people who are, um, really worried about these sort of over commodifications of popular culture but on the other hand, as I mentioned, they are also seeing this as an opportunity to just launch the sort of heavy heavy artillery around art through the uh, the gate of Hallyu. as of Is it a good representation of Korea? This can be, again, very much debated. But at the end of the day, any export culture that you have, be it from Korea, from Britain, from the America, are not necessarily reflecting what is happening on the inside. I mean, Bridgerton is not necessarily what represents all of the Britain culture either. So... I think, yes, there is a, the the, the wave will come in different shapes, um, as has it become, for example, from the first wave that was led by K-drama and cinema, the second one more focusing on K-pop music. But then you had the pandemic that really brought the focus on K-drama through the OTT platforms. And so the next wave might take another shape in another form, but it probably will continue to expand, particularly with the Korean government and, having established now a new branch, uh, focusing on highly development in particular.
2: The other day, uh, someone told me, now the big thing apparently is uh, K-chicken, <laughs> which is fried chicken, right? Right. <laughs> so I was telling me now it's known as, as K-chicken. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's the next big thing, right? And, and it's fried chicken, is delicious, I agree. But but I was surprised that putting the label K, right, makes it <laughs> makes it more popular, actually.
1: Yes, the the branding of K has become really ubiquitous nowadays,
2: isn't it? It has, yes, it has. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> Rosalie, could I ask a little bit specifically on the drama and, and film side of things? Obviously, films like Parasite and TV series like Squid Game that I I mentioned at the top. I mean, one of the joys of these dramas and films is they do have many layers to them. You know, they're entertaining in and of themselves, but um there's a lot going on and in particular there's probably some social and political comments going on. Sometimes some of those nuances, as an outsider, we we probably miss those. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the major preoccupations of the leading Korean film and drama makers are? And also, does this cause any tension within Korea? Because obviously, where these films may be interpreted as as criticizing aspects of of Korean culture, does that cause controversy? Does it cause friction with the government's officials who at the same time are promoting Korean culture as a major export industry?
1: It's probably difficult to overgeneralize what decriminal sort of uh, zone of interest are. But I think, generally speaking, there is um, a desire to explore the clash of of uh, generational values from the traditional to the contemporary in various shapes and forms. There is also this desire to um, look at a new perspective on Korean history as well as magnifying some of the societal issues that is happening in contemporary Korea. But they are usually very much anchored within Korean society. So it's a local narrative, but it has an impact at a universal level. So it resonates with a a bigger uh, audience, shall we say, than just Korean audience. But in parallel, you also have um, a very big interest in developing very idiosyncratic narratives, special visuals. And I think you see the sort of um, revisiting of genres, existing genres, or the mixing of genres as well that is just coming to the fore. And an interesting sort of um, source of inspiration for a few K-dramas, for example, is coming from the webtoons, Uh, Webtoons being also a Korean innovation in the sense that they are cartoons meant to be read vertically on your digital screens. And those are provided by both amateurs and professionals alike. So they make for a wider source of storylines, if you'd like, and plot lines, which means that it is also sort of almost the whole of the Korean population or anyone who can draw and has a story to tell can actually feed into these creative stories, which I think is quite interesting, and. Uh- off to the friction with the Korean government I mean this is a democracy so the sort of censorship that you had um, during the military regime or during the colonial periods is probably no longer visible or n- not re- expressed as, as freely at least uh, from the governmental part but there are um, dissatisfactions that are expressed by various bodies but I don't think that really they are prevented to uh, continue pr- uh, promoting their films or uh, supporting their films
0: Overseas, yeah, I guess, and I suppose, in films like *Parasite*, where one of the themes is obviously the income gap between the rich and poor in in Korean society, that's a pretty universal theme in many ways. I mean, that's something that besets many many societies around the world at the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this is a um, an idea that comes from what we call the Heiljusan, which is, again, uh, referring to the Jusan dynasty, which was very much a strong hierarchical society where the social mobility was really difficult and the economic gap between the, uh, the aristocrats and uh, the lay people were really quite wide. And so this is a reflection of what the, the youth is thinking about when uh, faced with the sort of uh, pressure that they feel in Korean society. And we often talk about the sample poor generations, where you um, abandon the three sort of concept in life because you cannot cope with it financially. And so these are very much anchored into Korean um, stories and you see the settings as well, but they are then transformed into this kind of um, universal values
0: and one other social aspect I wanted to talk to you about, Rosalie, is is how women are portrayed in modern Korean film, in particular, and and in dramas and, uh, as well. I've talked in the past to Ramon in previous podcasts about the, the role that gender politics has played in Korean presidential elections, but can you talk a little bit about how women are portrayed in in modern Korean film and the extent to which their role in society is a subject of interest to filmmakers in the country?
1: Yes. The representation of women both in front of and uh, behind the camera has evolved particularly in the past decades and I think for example films like um, Forever the Moment by Imseul in 2008 were very much picturing a Korean woman as they are seen in a Korean society by which I mean Um, They are often, their identity is often sort of disappearing behind the label of, the wife of, the mother of, the daughter of. And so it was great to see in that movie, uh, which is basically uh, a loose interpretation of the handball team that went on to uh, the Olympic Games in Athens in 2004, it's showcasing the different worries and um, societal barriers that they have in their daily life. And it was nice that it was uh, showcasing this to a, a deeper level than just showcasing that, oh, yes, she has; she, she's the mother of someone and she has to deal with X, Y, Z issues around taking her child to the school or kind of banalities. I think it went to a level where discussions were going beyond that because it was also filmed by uh, a Korean film directors and this went on to spawn more and more of these um, movies, especially after the uh, sort of Me Too movement around 2018, where there was a more uh, a bigger awareness of the gender disparities. I think both in and outside Korea. And so I felt like nowadays you have various movies and um, dramas coming to the fore with very strong female character, both as a heroine as as a villain as well. And I think. They probably passed the Bechtel test. Yeah. Um, that many talk about, right?
0: Can you just remind us what that is, the Bechtel test?
1: Yeah, so the Bechtel test is a simple test whereby in a movie you have to have two female, well, two named female characters that have a conversation that is not related to a man or about a romantic sort of relationship. So basically, as we call a faire-valoir for uh, for men. And so um I think many of the movies and K-dramas nowadays are passing those tests. And I think in K-drama, it might be slightly different because um you have longer sort of running period and therefore you have more time to develop female characters. And um, so they probably had more Korean female character that were discussing other things than just uh, romance. Say, for example, they were discussing about work issues, the glass ceiling issues, reflecting actually the sort of gender disparities within Korean society. And I think this is also interesting because uh, a lot of the um, scripts written for K-drama are written by women, and often the audience are female as well. And so this might also be one of the reasons why you have a better, perhaps balanced uh, representation of women in those series. And nowadays, as you mentioned, The Glory, for example, fantastic case of a um, strong female character, both uh, as villains, as um, heroine as well. And uh, you have more and more of those coming to the fore, which is quite exciting to see and probably a good showcase of the um, talents of all these actresses that have been always often relegated to be um, just a um, sort of romantic or the sort of sidekick to a male character.
0: Fascinating, thank you. Let's move on to how this is all being viewed from outside of Korea. Ramon, how do you gauge the impact of this Cultural success that South Korea has had has it increased the country's soft power? Do you think? Can you point to sort of tangible evidence of this?
2: Well, yes, I do think we have evidence. I mean, uh, tourism is the is the obvious one. In the early 2000s, the number of tourists going to Korea were uh, two or three million per year, and and the year before the pandemic, we had gone up to 17, almost 18 million. And tourists in the past used to come mm-hmm. mainly from nearby. Uh, countries, Japan, China, and now you have trees coming from from everywhere across the world. It's, uh, as an anecdote, something I I, I learned that there are young Europeans who go uh, basically two three days uh, to Korea, right? To so go to a K- to a K-pop concert, they they may take Friday off uh, work, for example, uh, and they go to a concert that takes place on a Saturday. They you know they spend three days there and then they they come back because they have to go back to to work, right? So uh, it wouldn't have happened in the past, right? Uh, so there's this this uh, tangible economic uh, benefit, uh, Korean products as well. Beauty products, for example, that are used in dramas, they, they receive a, a boost uh, in their sales after they appear on the drama, simply because, you know, one of the main characters happens to be uh, to be using it. Uh, not only Korean products, of course, but now you even have foreign brands, right? They must joke about uh, KFC and how often in Korean dramas you see uh, the characters uh, eating at KFC, right? And, and KFC is not doing this because of Korea. It's because through a Korean drama is going to have a global uh, audience, right? Uh, So I think uh, there's this tangible uh, economic benefit, but also in the way people talk about Korea. It is fair to say that uh, some 20, 30 years ago, uh, South Korea either was uh, unknown, some people still had the image of uh, the TV show *Mash*, right? Those those a little bit uh, older who who followed this TV show in the 70s and early uh, early 80s, right? And, and that uh, TV show was actually set during the Korean War, right? So the perception of Korea was a poor country, uh, basically, with the U.S. military everywhere. Uh, being an American an American TV show, Maple who knew about Korea actually. They knew more about North Korea, right? They knew about the the, the Kim family, right? And 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 uh, nuclear tests, etc. And this has changed, right? Now you talk about uh, Korea. I mean, I've seen with my students, but even beyond my students who will have an interest on on the region, you do see how uh, they know uh, about the economy, about the art, about different aspects of of, of Korea than in the past uh, were not known. Right. So there is this uh, different perception of, of the country.
0: And how do you think, I mean, it's difficult to, to judge, I guess, but how do you think... This has gone down in other Asian countries. Obviously, we've been talking quite a lot about how this has all been received in in the West. But, you know, in Japan, in China, in other parts of Asia, are people listening to K-pop? Are they watching Korean films? What's your sense of that, Ramon?
2: Well, something very interesting that uh, I've seen is discussions in in several uh, Southeast Asian countries, such as uh, Thailand, for example, on how to replicate this this success, right? Uh, Can we make Thai culture, uh, cool. Uh, of course, Japan also had the the uh, Cool Japan campaign a few, a few years ago, which in a sense was in, inspired by the success of Hallyu as well. It has to be said that if you look at polls and surveys of of people in these countries, perception of Korean, Korean people and South Korea as a country, for the most part, have improved, especially in Southeast Asia, but also to an extent in Japan and and, and China as well, countries that are geographically closer to Korea. So, so there has been this improvement, but also this this area that I mentioned, right? That how if Korea has become successful, as Rosalie mentioned, right, in using their own language for the most part, uh, can this be done by by other countries? I mean, for a while there was this discussion in in China as well, but China is a very different country, of course, because cannot really replicate the freedom that that Korean artists have when when it comes to when it comes to themes, right? The uh, movies such as Parasite, which, as you mentioned, criticise what is going on inside the country. I don't think China would be proud right <laughs> to send this movie to the oscars for example or or to allow it to 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 produce right showing the inequality that you have uh, in, in in this country so there are limits to the to the extent to which some countries can replicate uh, the success from korea but but there are these uh, uh, discussions and one interesting phenomenon that i've heard uh, from uh, my students and also when traveling to other places such as uh, japan or singapore for example is uh, Some people in these countries feel this as an Asian success and they like the way that Asians are being portrayed, right? Mm. In many. Uh, different types of situations, sometimes as heroes, right? And some of these uh, TV shows, uh, they're, uh, dramas, they are they're, they're heroes we're talking about, right? And 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 they do like that, right? They say, well, yes, of course, the characters are Korean, even though has to be said a, a, an increasing number of foreign uh, actors, uh, foreign singers, for example, uh, are part of uh, K-dramas, movies, and K-pop bands as well, right? So, so they're becoming kind of more Pan-Asian. And I find that interesting, actually, having especially younger people saying, well, we, we like. The way Asians are being portrayed in a in a different way, uh, in a more positive way, in many cases, for example, through K-pop acts.
1: I echo what Amon said, but um, there is also, however, a sort of darker side in the sense that some uh, groups are also perceiving this phenomenon as, a, as almost a neo-imperialism, if you'd like, a sort of new way of colonizing coming from Asia which is quite interesting to see. But for the time being, the overall, the majority is taking this as a more model to pursue. And this is not just in the Asian region. It's also in other sort of developing countries and how to just redevelop their sort of um, national pride, their culture through following the models of Korea. And, um, And I think there is also a sort of understanding that this explosion of Korean popular culture happened at a specific moment in time which is basically coinciding with the advent of the internet and social media platforms, as well as all these um, smartphone technologies that really enable to propagate a popular culture at a scale and at a speed that was never really seen before. And therefore, I think there is also a sort of larger historical context to look at as well in the sort of production and distribution and consumptions of popular culture.
0: Rosalie, could you bring our discussion to a close by maybe talking a little bit about the exhibition at the V&A Museum for those of our listeners who might be in London or happen to be in London in the in the coming weeks? And maybe uh, as you do that, if you could touch on really the question I posed right at the start. I mean, what is South Korea's secret sauce here? I mean, plenty of other countries have strong cultures, strong cultural products, but it's it's only South Korea that's, you know, been a, a foreign language film that's won an oscar it's it's only south korea really that's produced a, a pop group that sings in a foreign language that's really made it big in the u.s and, and elsewhere
1: well in our exhibition which is called um Hallyu, the korean wave which is running until the 25th of june this year so you still have time to go and see it if you come to visit london and uh, we're explaining in the exhibition how a country that was subjected to various cultural influences in the uh, 20th centuries, uh, turning the flow in order to propagate its own culture and become a sort of cultural leading powerhouse uh, by the dawn of the 20th century. In this context, we are um, showcasing how the first wave was led by K-drama and cinema in in Asia and then continue with K-pop music and its fandom. And we are showcasing how today this uh, cultural phenomenon is actually counting uh, over 178, 180 million fans around the world and um, challenging the global currents of popular culture. And we then finish the exhibition with a colorful array of beauty products and fashions um, to show the cultural impact of this performative side of the industries. I think, there is this um, moment in Korea where, uh, as I mentioned before, there there is this lifting of various repression and censorship that enables Koreans to be more playful and have a liberal approach to expressing their interest, their culture and their history. This is something that is possible because perhaps in East Asia, Euro-America had perhaps more... Uh, Closer ties with um, China and Japan historically, um, I mean, cultural exchanges go back to the 15th, 16th century onwards, uh, whereas Korea was quite uh, on the recent side on the late 19th century onwards which doesn't mean that they didn't have contact with the West, but um, the trade was less marked um, during that time period. So it offers a sort of fresh, I suppose, alternatives and um, the fact that the audience is also from a younger generation, the MZ generation, which is also perhaps more culturally diverse and more inclusive, enabled Korea to take this opportunity and then respond to their audience, particularly knowing well how small their local uh, sort of market is. They have to adjust and export and in order to keep being competitive on the market you also have to address the need of the local audiences so there is this globalization through the localization process as well but anyway come and see our exhibition we have the highlights for installation immersive uh, experience of k-pop and we have a fun dance interactive that we have developed as well where invite our visitors to to be a k-pop idol for a day too
0: Oh, that sounds great fun. I'll definitely be making my my way up to do that, although I don't really fancy my chances of being accepted into a, a K-pop band. Sadly, those days might be behind me. <laughs> Both of you, thank you so much for a fantastic discussion. Really interesting to, to delve into this fantastically successful phenomenon we've seen over the last few decades coming from South Korea. Thank you to Rebecca Bailey and Paulo Bosnin for producing and editing this episode. Thank you to Alexander Lestrange, as ever, who does the music for CSDS Asia Matters. But most of all, Thank you to you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. There are plenty of ways to get in touch with CSDS Asia Matters via Twitter, via email, and so on. We have plenty more episodes for you coming up in the future, so do keep listening. For now, though, thank you and goodbye.